This is The Guardian. The UK government recently announced it was going to make the possession of nitrous oxide for recreational purposes a criminal offence. Here the government says it will ban so-called laughing gas or nitrous oxide. The idea is that the ban will reduce serious health risks and help clamp down on antisocial behaviour. We're doing it because if you walk through any urban park, you will see these little silver canisters, which are the evidence of people regarding public spaces as arenas for drug-taking. That is unacceptable. But the decision has been criticised by drugs charities, and even the government's independent advisory council says it shouldn't be prohibited. There tends to be this approach that, oh, it's only minor, or, you know, uh, let people let off steam. No! So how risky is laughing gas? How much of a problem is recreational use? And are there better options than a ban? I'm The Guardian science editor, Ian Sample, and this is Science Weekly. Nicola Davis, you're a science correspondent with The Guardian, and you've been covering the announcement from the government that nitrous oxide will be banned in the UK and the expert reaction to this. First off, let's talk about laughing gas. Give me a potted history of the stuff. So to put my chemistry hat on, nitrous oxide, so we're talking here about N2O. So each molecule of this gas has got two nitrogen atoms and one oxygen atom. And it was first made in 1772 by the chemist Joseph Priestley. Now, he's quite a famous chap in the history of chemistry. And he did this by basically heating iron filings with nitric acid and he produced this gas. So it was discovered in England, mid to late 18th century. Now, Quite quickly after it was discovered, it became the topic of research by kind of eminent scientists of the time. One of these was Humphrey Davy, again, another quite famous name people might have heard of. And he was the first to call it laughing gas because he discovered that if you breathe it in, it gives you the giggles. In fact, he said that when he tried breathing it in, it made me dance about the laboratory as a madman and has kept my spirits in a glow ever since. But he also found that it can have analgesic or pain-killing properties. The latter properties, the pain-killing stuff, that kind of got shelved for a bit. But there were, in fact, like parties among the upper classes where they'd get high on this stuff. There were some rather dubious satirical cartoons from the time, uh, one of which shows Humphrey Davy giving laughing gas to a scolding wife. Now, you know, <laughs> not perhaps something we'd find so amusing today, but still, it shows how this stuff was there in the public consciousness. So do we know how it works, what it's doing in the brain? So nitrous oxide affects the body in, in a number of ways. So it has an anti-anxiety effect, which is down to its interactions with particular receptors that block certain neurotransmitters. It has a, this painkiller effect because it inhibits sort of signalling of pain in the body. And then it also has the euphoric effect, which is the kind of effect that Humphrey Davy was talking about, is due to its uh, impact on the pathway in the brain involving dopamine, which, you know, we sort of talk about as like the happy molecule. So it's got sort of several ways that it's acting in the body to create those kinds of responses that people have described so eloquently. It's just a short buzz, isn't it? It's just I a short buzz. Uh, say roughly 30 seconds to a minute, about that. 
I strongly suspect you won't be able to draw on personal experience for this one, but I'm interested in what the nitrous oxide high is like. So according to the Bristol Drugs Project, you know, a high basically will last from one to five minutes. It kicks in quite quickly and you get, you know, dizziness, euphoria, giggles. You might get a bit of change in your vision, a bit blurry, maybe some hallucinations. But you can also get headache, tight chest, loss of balance, you know, these kinds of things as well. You know, we talk about those little canisters. I mean, often what happens is that those are used to fill a, a balloon uh, with nitrous oxide and then people breathe in from this balloon. And where might we find nitrous oxide today? How's it used? It can be used, for example, in hospitals. If you think about when people talk about gas and air, so if you're in labour having a baby, then, you know, one of the common painkillers is oxygen and nitrous oxide. It can also be used as a propellant. So in the food industry, it's found in things like uh, whipped cream canisters. That's what gives the whipped cream the kind of uh, shushiness, <laughs> technical term there, as it comes out of the can. And it can also be used as a rocket propellant as well. And what are the rules at the moment around the sale and possession of laughing gas? So at the moment, you can purchase nitrous oxide for legitimate purposes. So those are the things I've just talked about. So things like aerosol spray propellant, hospital purposes, that kind of thing. Possessing it isn't illegal, but the production, supply and importation of nitrous oxide for its psychoactive effects is illegal. It's controlled under the Psychoactive Substances Act of 2016. So how popular is this stuff as a recreational drug? If you look around and about, if you're in a town or anything, you look in the parks, you'll often see those little silver canisters and those contain nitrous oxide. They're often called whippets. So it might give you the idea that it's extremely popular. Now, we do actually have some data, though, on this. So if we look at the Office for National Statistics data for England and Wales, they say about 2.2 to 2.4% of people aged 16 to 59 used nitrous oxide between, I think it was 2016 and 2020. And this fell to 1.3% in 2021 to 2022. If you look at 16 to 24-year-olds, so sort of young adults, what are they doing? 9% of that age group reported uh, using it in 2016 to 2017. But if you look at 2021, 2022, it's down to 3.9%. So that does suggest quite a large drop. Now, the reasons behind that, the report doesn't talk about, but clearly there has been a shift. What are the risks associated with nitrous oxide use then? I mean, you know, it's used as an anaesthetic during childbirth, so I presume it can't be that dangerous. Well, really, as, as with so many things, it's about the amount the old phrase, it's the dose that makes the poison, is, is is sort of true here too. So experts say that people most at risk of significant complications are those who are exposed to high quantities of the gas, very frequent use, very large volumes of use. And the concern here is that nitrous oxide uh, that's used for recreational purposes is shifting to larger canisters. Smaller silver canisters holding around 8 grams of nitrous oxide are being swapped to a supersized version which holds around 80 times the size. Supersized versions are riskier, experts say, because they can lead to people using higher quantities. As you say, when you use nitrous oxide in a medical setting, there's a very low risk. That said, you know, there has been concern about prolonged exposure among nurses and midwives, and that caused concerns to the extent that some trusts stopped offering nitrous oxide, you know, gas and air, to women in childbirth. And that's been quite controversial. 
But if we're talking about recreational use, I mean, one of the concerns, and I've spoken to medics about this, is that high levels of exposure can result in spinal cord and nerve damage because it, it causes a vitamin B12 deficiency. So we're still talking about a rare situation, but doctors have said it is becoming more common. So one doctor told me he was now seeing that kind of case every few weeks. Okay, so use overall seems to have dropped, but you've been hearing perhaps that serious side effects are on the rise, potentially because of larger canisters being used. So tell me a bit more about these impacts. How does nitrous oxide cause a B12 deficiency and then spinal or nerve damage? So nitrous oxide basically inactivates vitamin B12 and vitamin B12 is really important in the production of myelin. Now, myelin is essentially a fatty sheath and that goes around the nerves in your body um, and is really important for the functioning of your nerve cells. So uh, when vitamin B12 is inactivated by the nitrous oxide, this myelin sheath is, n is not kept in good repair and that causes uh, the damage. So Nicola, as you say, serious cases are pretty rare with nitrous oxide. So what is the government's argument for banning it? So it's banning the possession because I said sale for recreational use is already illegal. So it's, it's banning people actually possessing nitrous oxide for recreational use. And that seems to be largely because of concerns over antisocial behaviour. So things like the litter in the streets from these little canisters, other issues around people who might be high on this stuff. But Earlier this month, the ACMD, that's the UK Drugs Advisory Panel, actually rejected calls to ban possession of nitrous oxide for recreational use. And they basically said, look, the social harms, the health harms, they're just, it's just not, it's not commensurate with that move. You know, that's, that's too big a move. You know, they said it could have significant unintended consequences. I mean, sort of taking that a bit further, I mean, it doesn't take much to imagine that, you know, if you, if you get caught with possession of nitrous oxide, you know, what does that mean? If it's, if it's, subject to control of the Misuse of Drugs Act 1971, presumably that means you could end up with a criminal record or something. And you know, that's quite a serious thing to have for as a teenager. So they say instead that the efforts should be focused on enforcing the current laws. So among the examples, you know, you could crack down on websites selling nitrous oxide for non-legitimate uses. You could have comprehensive health warnings on nitrous oxide to make it clear that, you know, there are risks involved with it. You could have educational campaigns. You could have all these different routes rather than necessarily banning possession. I mean, another thing that experts have flagged is certain groups of people, they, they want to experiment with things. And if you make it, you know, illegal to have this, um, then people might choose a different kind of drug to consume, which might have bigger harms as well. What we sell is we sell a novelty item that actually promotes that you don't have to take MDMA, you don't have to take cocaine, you don't have to go outside out and drink until you don't remember how you get home. You can go out, you can have a balloon. If you do it safely and responsibly, it's a five minute buzz and it gets you excited and you can continue and have a great night. And then I think there's also sort of concerns there about how it's going to impact on people who are using nitrous oxide for legitimate uses. How will that be affected by a ban on possession? How might that disrupt those sectors? And I know that the government hasn't yet clarified exactly how this ban would work, but I'm curious about the thinking on antisocial behaviour. Clearly, the government's thinking about littering, but there's loads of things people litter with, crisp packets, chewing gum that aren't banned. So what's going on here? 
So this is really interesting because it is something that the ACMD looked at and they said there's no substantive evidence linking nitrous oxide to antisocial behaviour or widespread criminal activities. Now, that's not to say that you don't get some littering. I mean, I certainly have and I'm sure lots of people have seen these little canisters around. As you say, littering is, is you know, people have anecdotally reported this, but there's no kind of real data on it. So one of the things the ACMD want is some monitoring of the littering situation, as well as more data on other things like the prevalence of health harms and neurological harms and so on. Um, but actually, the ACMD acknowledges, they said that you know, there were some responses to their um, call for evidence, which suggested that you, know, you get uh, some nuisance behaviour, that actually there was an evidence gap linking antisocial behaviour to nitrous oxide use. And in fact, other drugs or alcohol were considered more strongly associated with antisocial behaviour. So in other words, if you really want to crack down antisocial behaviour... There are other things that might be considered to be banned first. And actually, it's something that lots of experts brought up with me when I spoke to them. Alcohol is a bigger problem. Alcohol has well-known health problems that's associated with it. We know that it's linked to um, antisocial behaviour. We know that there are issues with traffic safety, with drink driving and so on. And nobody is banning alcohol. You've spoken to a lot of experts about this. Have they come up with an alternative strategy that the government might pursue if they did want to tackle some of these issues that they see around nitrous oxide without actually making possession illegal? The littering, there are things that we can do about that. So Professor Harry Sumner, who's Professor of Substance Use at Liverpool John Moores University, I sort of asked him about this. And, and he said, those little cartridges that you see knocking around, they are made from steel. So you could potentially recycle them at the moment, some council recycling schemes don't accept them because of sort of safety concerns, but they can be taken to scrap metal yards. Professor David Nutt, uh, another expert uh, in this field, uh, said, you know, perhaps you could have something like a, a deposit return scheme. Um, and also, as you said earlier, you know, there is a question of, is this litter worse than other types of waste that's chucked around? Nicola, always good to have you on. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks again to Nicola Davis. You can follow all her reporting at theguardian.com. And that's it for today. This episode was produced by Madeline Finley. The sound designer was Jill Cox. And the executive producers were Ellie Bury and Danielle Stevens. We'll be back on Thursday. See you then. This is The Guardian. 